We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Exodus chapter 15, if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me. Exodus chapter 15. We're going to turn to verses 22 through 27 this morning as we're going to continue our journey together through the life of Moses. Uh, As we have been walking through this series together, you know that as we study the life of Moses, really what we're studying is how God has moved in Moses' life. Because the hero of this story, as in every biblical narrative, the hero's not Moses. The hero of every biblical narrative is the Lord. And we've seen that over and over again. And so we see that now again this morning as we continue our walk together, continue our journey together. Let me, though, before we begin, tell you happy Father's Day. I am so glad that you're here this morning. I'm so glad for my father. I'm so glad for the fathers that are in this room. Thankful for your influence, not only the lives of your children, but the lives of people in this church and in our community. You have a huge impact, and we cannot tell you thank you enough for the impact that you make. I want to tell you as well, as we celebrate Father's Day, that one of the opportunities that we have to see in Scripture is that as earthly fathers, we know that we are flawed. We're messed up. We make a lot of mistakes. Um, As an earthly dad, I wish I could hit rewind a whole lot of the time. Um, I look back on my children's lives and think about all the ways that I could have done better, and I certainly think going forward I hope I will do better in a lot of different ways. But I guess at the end of the day what I'm most thankful for is that I have a Heavenly Father who's absolutely perfect. And so when we celebrate Father's Day, we celebrate Him. And we celebrate a God who shows us that even when we don't get it right, there's one who always gets it right. And that's really the hero not only of Moses' story, that's the hero of my story, and He's the hero of your story as well. So as we open up together today, probably every single one of you in here, in fact, I'm positive every one of you in here is either a teacher or a student. And if you aren't a student now, you have been a student. And at some point in your life, I would imagine we'd be hard-pressed to find one person in here who hasn't gotten a grade in their life that they thought they didn't deserve. One paper, one test, one thing that you received back, and the moment you looked at the grade, you thought, this isn't right. This can't be right. There's no way that this is the grade that I should have gotten. Probably when you looked at it, you immediately thought, How dare they challenge someone as academically gifted as I am by giving me this grade? Do they know the type of intellectual prowess that I bring to the table? How in the world could they think? Maybe you looked around and you saw other people's grades and probably at some point in your life you looked over and you saw somebody that you knew in your heart didn't hold a candle to how bright you were, but yet you looked and you saw that their grade was better on their paper, so you began in your life to formulate a plan that there's no way you were going to let this slide. You weren't going to let this go. In fact, you were going to go right to the source. You weren't just going to walk on by and let this get put into a grade book and go into your average without fighting for your rights. And so you found yourself at the teacher's desk and you told he or she, that you really looked at this and thought about it and you realized that you just didn't think it was fair. That this grade that they had given you was the wrong grade. And it reminds me of the young man who walked up to his teacher and he took that paper and he threw it down on her desk and he said, this just is not fair. And she looked at him she said, okay, well, let me take a look. She picked up the paper, noticed the grade at the top, 
Elf. And she, she began to flip through the paper. And he's got his hands up on the desk and he looks mad. And she finally looks up at him and she said, you're exactly right. This is not fair. And in his heart, he thought, I've won the victory. She sees my side. She realizes the error of her ways and her mistake and that there is no way that a student as bright as I am could possibly have failed this. Thank the Lord that she has wised up to her error and now she's going to make it right. But she leaned across the desk and she said, in fact, the reason that this is not fair is that the reason that you got an F is because there was no lower grade for me to give. F is the lowest I have to get, and had there been lower, that's what you would have gotten because this is the worst paper I've ever seen in my entire life. Now, when you open up to Exodus chapter 15, I want you to know that if you were going to grade Israel on what we're about to read, F would not be a low enough grade for what you're going to see is about to happen. In fact, after everything that we've read and studied together, just to kind of catch you up, I know I was out last week, so, so, so let's catch up together to see where we are in this series. You remember that God's called Moses, and that Moses has gone before Pharaoh, and he's announced to let his people go, and that God has brought about ten horrific plagues, protected Israel from the plagues, but brought them on Egypt, until we got to the tenth plague, which was the plague that brought about the killing of the firstborn. But that brought about the celebration of Passover, where the door was put where the blood was put over the doorpost till eventually Pharaoh allowed the people to leave. But after they had left, Pharaoh had second thoughts and he thought, no, go after them because my labor force is gone. So he pursued them and pursued them all the way to the banks of the Red Sea. And the Israelites looking in front of them realized they were hemmed into the Red Sea in front and they were hemmed in by the Egyptian army in the back. And God delivered in a way that only God can deliver because you'll remember how the story goes. That God separated the Red Sea and He separated the water and He dried the land. And it was Israel who walked across on that dry land and was delivered. But as Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies began to pursue them and they got just to where the last Egyptian soldier was in the Red Sea, God allowed the waters to go back and He wiped out the entire Egyptian army. It's on the heels of this incredible victory that the warrior God won that the Israelites begin on their journey towards the promised land. Now, history and geography tells us that there were three main routes, three main highways, if you will, that they could have taken to the promised land. But what we know is they didn't take any of those. In fact, they took a way that if you were going to map quest it would make absolutely no sense. The way that they go, that they go is not a way that anyone would have gone, but God had a plan for them because He was going to move in their hearts and test them throughout this. And what we see is that in Exodus chapter 15, one of the most beautiful chapters of praise, if you haven't read Exodus chapter 15 verses 1 to 21, you need to do that this week. Because it's a song of praise that erupts for their redemption, erupts because of their deliverance to thank God and to praise God for all that He is and all that He's done. And yet all of a sudden we switch from verse 21 to 22 and things change in a minute. How many of you know today that things can change in an absolute moment? That you can go from the highest of high to the lowest of lows? How many of you know that sometimes it feels like things are rolling around and life is good and then all of a sudden, almost inexplicably, things change? And how many of you know that we are a people that are just prone to forget? How many of you are forgetful people? 
How many of you, even this morning, one of the reasons that you were rushed coming in here, now you're smiling now and looking like you've all got it together, but some of you had trouble getting in the door today because there was something you couldn't find. Somebody was looking for their glasses and that's why they were late. Somebody was looking for a pair of keys and couldn't get out the door. Somebody couldn't find their purse. Some of you were looking for your Bible and scrambling everywhere to try to find it. Somebody hid somebody's coffee cup and that's why they weren't be able to be here this morning. Some of you had trouble finding something this morning it's a wonder sometimes we ever get anywhere because we're a forgetful people well it must be part of our dna because all the way back to israel they were a forgetful people but they didn't just forget something as simple as a coffee cup or car keys they had forgotten almost immediately what god had done in the course of three days in the course of 72 hours they had gone from the highest of high in praise to one of the most despicable experiences you will read about as they complain and as they whine and I want you to see together that as we read, that we're going to see that God prepared, that we, we need to be prepared for God to test us for our own maturity and for His glory. So let's discover that together by standing and let's read God's Word together. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And then we came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where, they were 12, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Lord, we bow before you today and we ask that you would teach us to be prepared for you to test us, to bring about our maturity, and to bring about your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And that is our big idea that you see on the screen this morning, to be prepared for God to test you for your own maturity and for His glory. So we're going to see some things that jump off the page. And if you've ever been a person who is prone to find themselves getting sideways, if you're a person that can know what bitter feels like, if you're a person that can find themselves pessimistic, if you're a person who can look at things the wrong way, then this sermon's for you. If you're a person who's ever gone to a place and realized that maybe it is that your perspective has gotten off, then this is for you. And I want you to listen and I want you to take notes this morning because there are so many of us that are going to get to these places in our lives if we're not there right now and you need to know how to be prepared to handle it. And there are some life lessons that jump off the page that teach us how to be prepared for God to test us for our own maturity and for His glory. So, so number one today, as you're taking notes, you're going to see on the screen, number one, don't forget what God has done in your life and throughout history. Don't forget what God has done in your life and throughout history. Let's talk for just a minute about what's going on here. 
When Israel comes through the Red Sea, when they are delivered, when they've experienced the Passover miracle, when they've been brought to this place, can you think about in their immediate history, I don't mean even months or years before, just in the days and weeks before this, this event, how much God has done. When you think about it, it will blow your mind the miracles they've seen, the deliverance they've seen, the salvation they've seen, the redemption they've seen, and the list goes on and on and on. But now, they've been three days without water. Now, I don't want us to make light of that. That is about the length of time that the human body can go without water. About three days is all the human body can go, especially if you're exerting any physical exertion. So, to be fair, they were at their limit. They were at the limit of where they could be physically, and so they find themselves at this place where God has brought them. Now, it's not by accident. I want you to remember, because we've got to think back to what we've already studied. It's not by accident that when Moses originally went for, to Pharaoh, how long did he ask Pharaoh originally for? When he said, let us go into the wilderness for how long? For three days to do what, church? To worship. That's what he requested. Now, obviously, we know because of the narrative, they're not going back to Egypt after three days. But the original request was, let us go for three days so that we could worship. Now they find themselves three days delivered out of Egypt in some of the most miraculous events that you could possibly imagine. And yet now, after three days, is it, not, is it worship they're experiencing? No. They're bitter. They're angry, they're mad, they're blaming Moses, they've turned on him, and they've gone from the first few verses of the most beautiful praise song that you can find in Scripture to this. To believing that they were going to die, that they weren't going to make it, that God wasn't going to provide water, that they never should have left. Things had gone south and gone south in an absolute hurry. But I want you to remember that just three days earlier, there was another issue with water. Three days earlier, they were praying, they were praying for the lack of water. They stood at the banks of the Red Sea, and it was because of the water that stood in front of them that was keeping them from passing. So they're needing God to remove the water, and what does God do? This is an easy one. He removes the water. He parts the Red Sea. Now, after He's done that, they're crying out for water, and it's almost as if they don't believe that the same God who parted the Red Sea, who delivered from Passover, the God who turned the Nile into blood, the God of the gnats and the God of the bulls and the God of the frogs and the God of deliverance, that that same God is going to provide. And so when we come to think about that, what we know is that it's not just Israel that experiences that. It's people like you and me because it's not just the car keys we lose. I would tell you that we suffer seriously from spiritual amnesia. Let one thing happen in our lives. Let things go sideways. Let there be a negative conversation. Let there be a, um, a, a bad report. Let there be a financial crisis. Let there be a problem in our friend group. Let something happen at school. And all of a sudden, no matter what it was that God has done in the past, everything is now colored by the immediate present. So I want us to do something that we don't often do in church, especially during the preaching time during church. I want to be quiet for just a few moments, and I want to give you a very specific assignment. If you're taking notes today, I'd, I'd really like for you to think about this, even write this maybe at a place in your Bible. I want you to name 
three times in your life where you are positive, positive the Lord has shown up in your life. Three times in your life where you look back and you say, oh, thank God. Three times in your life where you were in a tight and you were positive that God did what only God could do. I want you to think of three times in your life that you look back on and even though maybe in the moment you didn't believe that God was in it, you see now, oh, thank God, He not only brought me to that place of Mara, that place of bitterness, but He brought me there to get me through. Now I want to give you a few moments and I want you to think hard about it. I want you to come up with three. If three is too hard, I want you to come up with at least one. Would you take a few moments and would you just think about that this morning? probably didn't need to give very many of you that long because before I even got through with the question some of you had come up you came up with one immediately and two probably pretty quickly after that and some of you are still writing because you realize that three is way too few because you don't even know how to rank them anymore if that's the case then it ought to be that yes we look back at biblical history and we're able to say the God who parts the Red Sea is my God and we ought to do that the God who busted the tomb open that's my God that the God who closed the mouths of lions, that that's my God. That the God who delivered Noah, that that's my God. Yes, we ought to do that. But we also ought to look at our own individual lives and how dare we get to the place of Mara and bitterness so, far, so many times in our life when there's every evidence, even in our own personal life, of what God has done over and over and over again. So what I'm calling us for today in the first point is for some of us to repent of spiritual amnesia. Oh God, I am so sorry because I so easily forget your blessings. I so easily forget your favor. I so easily forget in the moment what it is that you've done and done so well in my life. Number two. Number two. Really quick point this morning. Leadership is hard. Leadership is hard. We're going to take a brief look at the life of Moses. Everybody, <laughs> it doesn't matter what leadership position it is. It doesn't matter whether it's people playing armchair quarterback in athletics, whether we're critiquing politicians, whether we're critiquing preachers or community leaders or bosses or business leaders. Leadership is hard. And you think about Moses, in the course of three days, he's gone from everyone saying, we are so thankful that God brought us Moses. What a wonderful deliverer. What a wonderful leader. Thank you, Moses, for your wisdom. And thank you for your insight. And thank you for your help. And thank you for getting us out of Egypt. Three days later, they've turned on him. And you need to know that if you want to lead people, it's not going to be easy and that people will turn on you. And one of the biggest problems in leadership is sometimes the people that will turn on you will be the people you would least expect to turn on you because it will be the people you've done the most for. I hate to tell you that, but that's part of leadership. Sometimes the people that you've done the most for and sacrificed the most for and loved the most and tried to help the most, they will turn on you. And leadership is hard. And so because it's hard, I believe that sometimes it's the height of foolishness when people are in leadership and they hit hard times and they wonder and they think, I just didn't know it was going to be like this. 
It's going to be like this. And I'm not just talking about in leadership capacities like Moses where you're leading a nation. If you want to be a leader in your student ministry, if you want to be a leader at your school, if you're going to lead at your business, then it's going to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it and everybody's not doing it. Leadership's hard. So then we fall into the question of why don't we see more people who are true leaders? I believe we're in a leadership crisis. How many of you would agree with that? You're in a leadership crisis. We're in our schools. We're in a leadership crisis in community. We're in a leadership crisis on state levels, national levels, world levels. We are in a crisis. It is epidemic, the lack of leadership. Why? Because there are a lot of good people who refuse to lead. And the reason they refuse to lead is because they know it's hard. And so the attitude becomes, well, I mean, I don't want to face that. I'll just fade into the shadows. I'll just do my thing. I'm not going to be somebody who really gets out there because I don't want to be judged. I don't want it to be hard. Friends, I'm not telling you that it's not worth it. I'm telling you it's hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that we don't rise to the occasion. It was with Moses. He was reluctant. You remember his story? He didn't want to do it, but he was called to do it. And some of you are called to do it. We had a young man this morning in the 9 o'clock service, Ezra Patty. I couldn't be more proud of him. He walked us aisle and he surrendered to ministry. Gave his life to ministry and he told me, sitting in my office this week, he looked at me and he said, Brother Larry, I don't know exactly what God has in store for me, but my answer is yes. Isn't that good? I don't know where it is that God's going to take me or what ministry He's going to place me in, but I've been thinking about it and I've realized, I've thought about all these different career paths, but Brother Larry, I realize that nothing else in my life would make me satisfied or complete if I don't serve the Lord with my whole life. And so he comes forward and he says, that's what I want to do. And when I look at students like that, my, my advice to them is not a pat on the back. Well, good job. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. No, it's that you look at them and you tell them, I want you to know that what you've done is going to require hard work and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be tough and people are crazy. But oh, it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it to lead and to lead well. We need people who are leading our kids well. We need people who are leading as students that are leading well. We need people who are willing to lead. Leadership is hard. But rise to the occasion. Number three. Number three. You must be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. You must be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Now what do we mean by that? Israel has made it all the way to the Red Sea. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've gone through this great battle. And you would think now that in their life would be the height, the absolute height of their spiritual attentiveness and praise toward the Lord. But now we see them at their lowest low. And actually that doesn't surprise me at all because I've really seen in people's personal lives that this is pretty normal. Now what do I mean by that? How many people do you know and how many times have you personally been in a place where God brought you out of something. God delivered you. God rescued you. God brought you to a place of repentance. God delivered you in a healing. God brought you out of a job, gave you a new opportunity, got you out of a relationship, brought you into a relationship. And often before those things, we're so dependent on the Lord and relying on the Lord and calling out to the Lord because we realize that we're trapped. There's a Red Sea in front and an Egyptian army behind. Oh God, I need you if you don't show up. But then the deliverance comes and that's when people 
let their guards down. That's when people get apathetic. That's when people get lazy. And friends, I'm telling you that if God has done an amazing work in your life, now is not the time to get lazy. Now is the time to realize that Satan, like a roaring lion, now is when he wants to destroy you because he knows that now you've let your guard down. You've quit praying as much. You've quit reading as much. You've quit being invested. You've quit being watchful. You've quit being vigilant. And now you are pray for lions. Friends, after the victory is when you need to be the most careful. Number four. Number four. God will test you to reveal your heart. There are often a lot of questions about the testing of God. That God tests people, and many people struggle with that. Why would God test people? Why would He test us? Well, I think we need to examine one of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason, the biggest misnomer about why the reason that God is not testing. You see, most people have framed this that God is testing so that God can find out where your heart is. That God can discover how you're thinking. That God can discover what your will truly is. In fact, most people in church believe that's why God tests people. And nothing could be further from the truth. How do I know that? Because God's omniscient. He doesn't need to test you to know what's in your heart. He already knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows exactly what's in your mind. So God's not testing you so that God can find out what's in your heart. Well, if God's not testing you for God to find out what's in your heart, then why is God testing you? Now, you remember in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus made the declaration. These people are crying out because they have nothing to drink. They'll eventually cry out because they have nothing to eat. And he says in Matthew chapter 6 very, very clearly that questions about what we're going to eat or drink or even what we're going to wear reveal that we have an anxious heart. Who do they reveal that to? Do they reveal it to God? No, God already knew you had an anxious heart. God already knows the wickedness and the depravity in our heart. So when God tests us, the reason that God tests us is not to reveal to Himself what's in your heart. It's to reveal to you what's in your own heart. That's why God tests us. Because most of us, in fact I would say all of us, until you come to a test, you don't know what's in your heart. You don't really know because we just go through life week to week, month to month, year to year, and we think we're pretty good. Most of the time, if we took a test, we'd assess ourselves that we're doing pretty well. But then all of a sudden, and I can't tell you how many times in my life this happens, and I'm not talking about a few occasions, I'm talking about weekly. Something happens in my life, sometimes multiple things, that reminds me that I am not as good as I think I am that I am not as far along as I think I am, that my attitude is not what it should be, that my heart is darker than it ought to be. And those tests happen not because God's wondering, hey, I wonder how He's doing. God knows how I'm doing, so He allows tests to come into my heart and into my life so I can judge it, so I can see it for myself. That's why God tests us. You see, friends, when God brings about that testing... He wants us to understand, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God will test you to reveal your heart. Number five. Number five. Challenges help us mature. Challenges help mature us and bring God glory. 
Challenges help mature us and bring God glory. We saw that in the big idea, and I just want to take now just an opportunity to flesh that out a little bit. I heard a quote from Adrian Rogers years ago, and he said that anybody can shout in the sunshine, but can you sing in the shadows? Anybody can shout in the sunshine, but can you sing in the shadows? Confession time. I don't know that sometimes I'm even great at shouting in the sunshine. Because sometimes when the sun's shining, I take things for granted. That's a weakness in my heart. I've, God's revealed that to me very recently. That when things are going really good, a lot of times my praise is not what it should be because I take it for granted. But then when things turn south, am I... Do we struggle to be able to praise Him even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the mara, even in the midst of the bitterness, even in the midst of wondering about this water supply and how is that going to take place? Well, I'd love to tell you that this sermon was going to change your life. I'd love to tell you that every one of you, you're going to take notes and you're going to review it and you're going to listen to this sermon and you're going to walk out of here and you're going to go, yes, the next time I have a challenge or a problem in my life, I'm going to look at this totally different. My perspective is going to be different and I'm never going to approach it the same, but you're not. You say, well, that's pretty pessimistic. It's Father's Day. I have a right. But seriously, it's Father's Day. So let me tell you why, why I'm telling you that on Father's Day. How many of you have ever been a teenager? Either you are now or you have been. How many of you are thankful you made it out alive that are no longer teenagers? Here's why I'm struggling with believing that you're going to grasp this point. I've been a teenager. I'm trying by the grace of God to raise teenagers right now. I'm in the midst of the fight, right? And what I know about that is this, is that oftentimes, as a parent, and my parents did this, my dad did this, bless his heart, he would come and he'd say, I need to talk to you about something. Most of the time it was pretty rough, pretty, pretty straightforward to tell me that he did not think that my academic prowess was what he thought it should be, that my decision making was not what it ought to be that I ought to do some things different about my life, that maybe I need to make different choices. And he would always say things like this. He would say, look, you can either learn this the hard way or you can learn it the easy way. But I'm trying to tell you because I've been there. But I had a talent at 13 and 14, a special talent. I believe it's a talent that probably is reserved for teenagers. I believe it's a talent that, that you learn somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. It's a talent that arose inside me that gave me the ability to think that no one over the age of 20 knew anything about anything. I believed that in my heart that the greatest response that you could give to advice was to do something like this. <clears throat> And that's why God has a sense of humor. Because if you make it out of your teenage years and you have children, 
then you end up eventually with teenagers. And on Father's Day, men, I just want to liberate you today. Some of you, nobody even told you Father's Day till you got to church. Like, I, I know that. Nobody even told you. And so today is your day. It's our day. So we're just going to talk, right? We're just going to say some things, some things that need to be said about being a father. Because when you come to being a father, I want you to know, children, I want to let you all in on a secret. You drive your dad crazy. All right? He loves you, but you drive him crazy. And part of the reason that you, you know that is because there are those times where you're having a conversation with a child. You're having a conversation and you try in the depths of your heart to have these moments where you are imparting wisdom and imparting knowledge and trying to say, if you will go this way, I will save you heartache and I will save you problems and I will save you difficulty. And I'm telling you by experience that I'm positive that this is the what you should do and that I know and I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't want to help you and that I only want the best for you. And yes, I've made mistakes, but I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. And probably most of you fathers have had the joy of having a moment where your child looked at you in their teenage years and said, Dad, thank you so much. Your wisdom is incredible. I am blessed as a child to have a person in my life that has so much experience to lead me down these paths. I'm so glad that I don't have to make the stupid mistakes that you made. And I know the only reason that you're telling me this is because you love me. In fact, I wish we could have more talks like these. <laughs> in fact, Dad, probably the best thing that you could do, in fact, I don't even want you to buy it. I'm going to buy you a journal. And I would love for you just to write down in the journal all of those things so that day by day I could study it and I could impart the wisdom that you have given me so that I will be able to live the most productive life possible. Thank you, Dad. I love you. Is that what your Father's Day has looked like so far? <laughs> Probably not. And here's why. Here's why. Teenagers, I'm not messing with you right now. Here's why. Because none of us learn anything the easy way. We just don't. I wish we did. But it's experience that teaches us. The reason that some of you now walk with the Lord like you do is because of some of the things that you've been through and the tough times and the experiences. So I'm not telling you this because this phrase that you're going to write down is going to change anything. I'm telling you to look at your own life and look back and say, yes, that's when I learned. That's when I grew. That's when I knew. That's when the light bulb came on because that's when the Lord matured me and through that God receive the glory experience is the best teacher but unfortunately we aren't going to trust him until we see our own weaknesses so that we can see his power now I want you to know that when we talk about challenges that sometimes I think far too often we forget that life is difficult that's a that's just what it is. Life's hard. There are great moments in life, and there are horrible moments in life. In fact, right now, if you took a piece of paper and drew a line right down the middle of it, and, I would write, and you were to write wonderful on one side and terrible on one side, I bet most of you could absolutely fill up both columns. If you just wrote as fast as you could write wonderful things that have happened in my life, you could go. Terrible things that have happened in my life. But here's the problem. 
when we get to the waters of Marah and these places of bitterness in our life, Satan and your flesh and the world will convince you that everything is Marah. That everything is discouragement. That everything is bad. And what you need to know is that it's not. That there are good things. That there are good things in the midst of the bad things. And even if it's bad right now, it hasn't always been bad and it won't always be bad. How many of you remembered that word when we read it together a moment ago? You said Mara. Mara. Haven't I seen that word before? If you've ever read the little Bible book of Ruth, you've seen that word before. You remember she had a mother-in-law. What was, what was her name? Oh, I thought this was going to be an easy one. Um, whew, there's a lady in the Old Testament named Ruth, right? Uh, Naomi, thank you. Very good. And what happens to Naomi? A lot of loss, a lot of heartbreak, loses husband, loses son. Some of the worst things could ever happen to anyone. And so she decides to change her name and she tells everyone, from now on, I don't want you to call me Naomi. I want you to call me Mara. In other words, my life has been so bitter, I want to change my name to bitter. Just call me bitter. I think I know Naomi. I think I've known her. How many of you have known her? That now, from now on, I want everything about my life to be characterized as bitter because these bitter things have happened. But friends, I want you to know it's not that they're not bitter. It's not that you haven't reached bitter ground. It's that you either allow those circumstances now to define you or you take bitter circumstances and you come before the Lord, the same God who has delivered, and you let those challenges mature you and bring God glory. Number six. Number six. Never forget that God is Jehovah Rapha. Never forget that God is Jehovah Rapha. Look at verse 26. I am the Lord, the God who heals you. In the Hebrew, that is, I am Jehovah Rapha, or I am God, your healer. Now, you'll remember several weeks ago that we talked about that God was the warrior God. That was even the title, the warrior God. And up until this point, that's how He has functioned as the God of war. But now He transitions from being the warrior God to being Jehovah Rapha or being the healer God. Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That He is the healer. Now, I feel like I need to take just a moment because I need to clarify something with you. I've had several questions that realize that, that maybe in my effort um, to theologically educate you, I have not explained something as well as I should. I want you to know that when we talk about God being the Jehovah Rapha, the healer, that we have talked a lot lately about what I believe to be the false prophets, the wolves of our age. Not only the prosperity hacks that are out there, but this ilk of people, people like Kenneth Copeland and others who declare to be able to heal, heal, heal people, Benny Hinn and all of the things that go with that, and many of the healing services that you see. I believe that there's a hot place in hell deserved for people who take advantage of people who are desperate and that much of that has nothing to do, in fact, all of it with the things of God as it does with the lining the pockets of men. 
That being said, and we've been very clear on that, I want you to hear me just as clearly on this. Because I had a question recently and I want to be sure that I answer it publicly. Not every question that I am asked do I think deserves a public answer, but this one deserves a public answer. I was asked recently, do you believe that God is still a healing God? Do you believe that God still heals? Absolutely. God absolutely is still Jehovah Rapha. He is still God my healer. It is that when we understand that it is God that is doing the healing, it is not a man that has been given some supernatural powers. Can you pray and God heals you? Absolutely. I see it daily and weekly. I see the supernatural weekly in how God works in people's lives. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I am a standing, living, breathing testimony that He is Jehovah Rapha that He is a healer. And by the way, if you are saved, you are a standing, breathing testimony that He is Jehovah Rapha. Because I was infected with the worst disease that any human has ever been infected with. And no, friends, I am not talking about cancer. I am not talking about any form of infection that an antibiotic can treat. I'm talking about that there was a sin-sick condition of my soul which I was hell-bound and death was going to be sure for me. And Jehovah Rapha stepped into my life and with the healing blood of Jesus, He applied it to my heart. And today I bow before Him because I'm telling you, yes, He still heals. Friends, we this morning in the 9 o'clock service had a, young man, had a man come down today who God has made aware that he needs God to be his healer. And when I say his healer, not deliverance from just a physical disease, but a deliverance from the death that his soul had. Today we celebrated with Micah and we laughed and we had a great time because we heard his testimony. But ultimately what we celebrated in that baptism is that there is a Jehovah Rapha that heals his soul. That in his sin-sick condition, that that little eight-year-old boy, that we stood up there and gave his testimony and we laughed and we smiled. The reason we ought to be laughing and smiling is not just because he's cute and he gave a great testimony. We ought to be laughing and smiling because that little boy going to hell because Jehovah Rapha has rescued his life. So yes, no, I do not believe in the miracle work of Benny Hinn and his ilk and all of the garbage that comes with that. But do I believe that God is Jehovah Rapha? Amen, amen, and amen. He is a healing God. Yes, 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 yes. Number seven. We are not commanded to rejoice about our circumstances, but to rejoice in the Lord. We are not commanded to rejoice about our circumstances, but to rejoice in the Lord. When Philippians 4.4 4 says rejoice, I will say it again, rejoice. What are we to rejoice about? Not that when you have a terrible circumstance, you don't look at that and say, this is awesome. Thank God. Just thankfully, this is so wonderful. I'm so glad that I got this terrible diagnosis. I'm glad. I'm so thankful today that financially things have fallen apart. Oh, this is wonderful. This relationship is falling apart. This is fantastic. My child is a prodigal. That's crazy. But for my whole life, I kind of thought that's what I was hearing, that that's what I was supposed to do. No! It's that even if you do get the diagnosis, even if the finances do fall apart, even if the marriage is on the rocks, even if the child is in the far country, that even in the midst of that, that Jehovah Rapha is your God. And that you still can praise Him, not because of the circumstances, but in the circumstances. That in those circumstances that He is working. 
You know, when we look at this passage, when we think about this passage, I think about that boy who took that test grade up and he slammed it on his teacher's desk and he said, I don't think this is fair. And she said, you're exactly right. If I had a lower grade to give you, that's what you would have gotten. We've been real honest about some things this morning and I want to continue to be. If I was going to protest before God about some things, I think God would look at me and say, uh, if I was to grade you, if there was a grade lower than F, that's the grade you would have gotten. Because that's how you've acted and how you've behaved. Not just before your salvation, but even since your salvation. I've got to tell you that there's some times in my life where my attitude and my behavior I am absolutely not proud of. I've been to places of Mara and I have thrown a fit and I refuse to think about what God has done in my life. I've had spiritual amnesia and forgotten some, very, some things that God has shown me over and over again. But here's what I love about this passage. At the very point in this passage where you think God is going to come unhinged on these people. Three days after I just delivered you and this is how you act. At the very point where you expect God would just destroy them and be done with them. He comes before them and declares a name that he hasn't ever declared before. I'm your Jehovah Rapha. Can I tell you something church? And I mean this with all of my heart. God has been so patient with me. And I mean patient. And he's not done with me yet. I got a long way to go. But guess what? I'm not the only one. You've got a long way to go too. And if you've been at that place where you know where I'm talking about, and you've had that spiritual amnesia, and you've acted in ways and behaved in ways and thought in ways and complained in ways then today I want you to know that thank God that He is the Jehovah Rapha and thank God that He is a patient healer and thank God this isn't the end of the story and thank God He's not done with you yet because this invitation is to every one of you. Every one of you who need to take a check in your heart and really look deep and say, you know what? I've got a whole lot more to praise God about and I have no reason to think that He can't do now what He's done before. I have no reason not to believe that. So today I come and repent before a holy God because I have not been faithful in the way that I've thought about Him or treated Him or acted. But I'm coming before you now because I want to praise you. You're my Jehovah Rapha. You're my healer. You're my everything. The Bible tells me time and time again that you've shown up and my life shows me that time and time again that you've shown up. So friends, you're invited today, not by a pastor, not even really by the church, you're invited by the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe it is that you're somebody today who needs to come and you need to experience the healing power of Jehovah Rapha. That you need to be cleansed from your sin. Maybe it is today that you simply need to be someone who comes and you need to bow before the Lord and you need to repent and you need to praise Him. Or maybe it is that you need a church home. This is a church not full of perfect people. Pretty messed up people, to be honest. But the people that are doing their best and want to encourage you to do your best for the glory of God. If that sounds like a church that you want to be a part of, then we'd love for you to come and we'd love for you to be a part. So in just a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. There are going to be men standing down front to receive you, but I want to be clear. All you have to do is simply slip out the back. We have men that are also standing there that are waiting to have a private conversation just to talk to you about what God's doing in your life. 
Or maybe it is that you look up and you see these steps and you say, I need to come publicly and bow before the Lord. I need to make it an altar and I need to come. But I'm praying that this will be a time where we will respond to what God's placed on our heart and we would call out to our Jehovah Rapha. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.